Chief Justice and the Associate Justices of the Supreme Court of the United States. Oh, Congress yay, shall make oh, no law yay, respecting an establishment yay, of religion, or prohibiting the free, free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech, or of the press, or of the press, or the right of the people peaceably to assemble, or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Students don't shed their constitutional rights to freedom of speech or expression at the schoolhouse gate. Our voices matter because we're the ones best equipped to tell our own stories. Student journalism matters. This is Conversations at the Schoolhouse Gate, the New Voices podcast. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome, as you heard in the intro, to Conversations at the Schoolhouse Gate, the New Voices podcast. My name is Mike Simmons. I'm a member of the Scholastic Press Rights Committee through the Journalism Education Association. I advise Tesserae, the yearbook at Corning Painted Post High School in upstate New York. And it's my pleasure to welcome you to the pilot episode of the podcast, which will feature a conversation I had earlier today with Neha Madeira of Prosper High School in Texas. Neha is the editor-in-chief of Eagle Nation Online, the news outlet at Prosper High School. And uh, as you'll hear in our conversation, she had quite a year last year uh, as a junior editor. Conversations at the Schoolhouse Gate is an ongoing initiative uh, that will feature voices from the National New Voices Movement. You can learn more about New Voices at newvoicesus.com. But it is a grassroots movement that aims to enshrine the Tinker Standard and strong scholastic press right freedoms for students uh, nationwide in all of the states that don't enjoy uh, strong First Amendment protections for our student journalists. Again, if you'd like to uh, learn more about New Voices, you can go to newvoicesus.com. And certainly don't forget that our friends at the Student Press Law Center in Washington and members of the Scholastic Press Rights Committee uh, via GAEA are always available to you. Uh, you can find the, uh, the websites online. And uh, if you or uh, members of your staff are uh, facing prior review or censorship, uh, don't forget that the SPRC has a panic button function at its website. Uh, you hit that panic button, and a member of the SPRC will be in touch with you very shortly uh, to follow up and see how we can assist you. Uh, for now, though, friends, let's get into our discussion with Neha Madeira, Editor-in-Chief of Eagle Nation Online. Well, joining me today on Conversations at the Schoolhouse Gate, the New Voices podcast, our very first guest is Neha Madeira of Texas. Neha, welcome. How are you? I'm good. Good. I appreciate you making time for this before uh, school. It's uh, Tuesday in September. You've been uh, you've been back to school for about about a month and a half so far. Yes, I have. And you're a senior presently. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> tell tell us a little bit about about you about your school. Uh, how, how's the school year getting off to a start? What's it like in the pub lab? Your role there. Uh, kind of introduce yourself to the podcast listeners. Um. Well, I, I am a senior. I started um, a newspaper actually last year. I started journalism my sophomore year, and right now I'm editor-in-chief of our online newspaper, Eagle Nation Online. And um, last year we we faced some, some prior review and censorship and the banning of editorials. Our advisor was pushed out, all sorts of stuff. Um, but this year... Our admin have actually reversed that policy, um, and, and we do have a new advisor. So um, we're kind of, it is, you know, it, it, it is kind of like a bittersweet 
victory, um, and we've written multiple opinion pieces. We're just trying to kind of have a fresh start to this year. Got it. And when you're not in the student journalism realm, although I'm, you, you know I'm a I'm a yearbook advisor, it's all consuming for us. But what do you do when you're uh, what do you do when you're not in the lab? Um, I'm a tennis player. I okay. I'm on the varsity tennis team, so um, I'm either playing tournaments or writing or um, doing homework. Yep. <laughs> you know, not journalism takes up a lot of my time, so and um, I enjoy it. And about a year from now, are you are you planning on college and university studies? Uh, I am. I'm actually um, applying to colleges right now, and I plan on majoring in journalism or um, some kind of communications major. Awesome. So I don't plan on stopping with this anytime soon. Yeah, the the bug has bit uh, has gotten you. That's great. What was your uh, what was your 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 entry into student journalism? Um, you're in your senior year, so let's flash back and and set a little bit more of the stage. When did you first get into a lab? Um. I so my sophomore year I was actually accidentally switched into journalism one I didn't like it before um, I took it in middle school and it wasn't a real journalism class um, the class that I wanted to take the elective was actually full my my 10th grade year so I was switching to J1 and um, I was not super excited but our former advisor Miss Lori Oglesby, you know, she kind of changed the game in terms of that. She had a, you know, she she was so passionate about writing, and she really got me into it. Um, she told me that I needed to start competing in UIL, which is um, an academic competition that we have here, so you can compete in all kinds of different writing. And um, so I started going to these competitions, and I kind of fell in love with it. So. Then she told me that you know we had just started this newspaper and last year was the second year so I just kind of jumped in and um, yeah. So Lori, uh, Miss Oglesby, you guys call her Miss O, right? Yeah, yeah I do. Yeah, yeah. she's uh, she's an icon in the student journalism world. Uh, formerly of McKinney High School, uh, and forgive my my lack of knowledge for Texas geography, but was that nearby? Was her switch kind of local? Yeah, it was um, McKinney High School's 15 minutes-ish from our high school, okay. so. And then she was with you your sophomore and junior year? Yes, okay. two years. And she's not there now, and we'll, we'll get into that as we start unpacking this story. Um, had you said that when she got there, uh, she and, and you all essentially founded the newspaper? Did you say it was new? Um, I wasn't part of the first year's staff. Um, but it was new. The first year that they had the newspaper was actually my sophomore year, and I didn't, I didn't really know about it. Um, but we hadn't really done a lot with it, I guess. Last year was the first year that we really started um, putting a lot of work into it, kind of getting it out there, trying to gain a following, all of that stuff. So yeah. I, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and that was under Miss O's tutelage and guidance. Yes, of course. Help us understand the, the program a little bit as you experienced it. Um, let's flash forward just slightly as, as a junior. Um, let's say it was roughly a year ago or so. Um, what was, and I'm going to get the name wrong again, sorry, is it Eagle Nation online? Yes, it is. Eagle Nation. Um, talk to me a little bit about uh, lab time and class time and, and the after-school commitment, the production cycle. You guys publishing daily. What, what did that all look like? Um, well, at the beginning of the year, we were all still really new to it. Um, we didn't. We we still had you know our list of goals to try to gain a following to put ourselves out there. So we were doing that. But at the same time, we were also trying to publish daily. And most of us really the the only experience that we had from all of that was from our journalism one class. And most of us competed in UIL journalism. 
So kind of coming into it, everything was a little bit crazy, and um, but we all were so committed. We really wanted to make our newspaper as great as it could be, so we, we put all of our time into it. Um, and we we did, at the beginning of the year, attempt to you know build relationships with admin, really communicate with them, um, and, and put our paper out there, like I said, but it kind of... It got a little bit tough after October when we were when we were censored for the first time and all of that. Yeah, and let, let's let's get into that. You you roll into early October and uh, what what happened first? Um, our copy editor actually, we just chose an editor as we were getting established and all of that. Our copy editor had written a new story on the cancellation of a senior movie day. Um, and that being said, we had it was a tradition at our school that. We had a cash for cancer fundraiser, and whichever grade level raised the most money would get this um, movie day reward, and it was always the senior class. And um, we had a new principal, and he was extremely different than our than our former principal. So he didn't want seniors to have this movie day. He kind of canceled it. Um, and so we were we were some of the only students that actually knew that this movie day was canceled because other seniors that we would talk to still thought it was on. So. Isabella naturally, you know, she wanted to cover this, um, so she actually went to him to talk about it and kind of get his reasoning on why he didn't want seniors to have this movie day. And um, in the interview, it, he he had said that he had known for a week and a half that he that he wanted to cancel the movie day, but he hadn't told the seniors. And um, and he had also kind of said he kind of threw our former ad- administrators under the bus because he said that they hadn't told him. Um, they, as in our former principal, hadn't told Dr. Burdett, our, our current principal, that this movie day was a tradition, tradition, so he didn't really know a lot about it. And um, naturally, we thought, obviously, that's the truth. We're going to trust our admins. So we, we covered the story. We published it. And then in the middle of the night, um, the, next, the next day that, you know, in, the, in early hours and stuff, he had emailed our advisor saying that the story needed to be taken down because it was incorrect and it cast our school in a bad light and it was negative. Um, and he kind of, he stood over her the next day, um, not during our news period until she had taken it down. So she was under a directive to. And um, that's kind of when we realized that it was gonna be a little bit tough with him. We'd, we'd never faced censorship, obviously. We didn't really know the, um, we didn't really know that he couldn't do that and stuff, but we knew that something was wrong because Ms. Owen said she had never been censored or her, her students never have been in the in her last 35 years of teaching. Yeah, and I'll say on full disclosure, I'm good friends with Ms. O, and I, I got to think that Dr. Burdett really poked the bear here. Uh, what was what was it like in the lab just thereafter, and, and, and was this the beginning of a pretty, uh, pretty quick education for you all as it goes to First Amendment and scholastic press rights? Yeah, definitely. We, um, we had to learn really quickly, um, and we had to... It was a little bit tough just because these conversations about censorship and prior view, um, they weren't with Dr. Burdett. Dr. Burdett would kind of tell Miss O to tell us things. He would never communicate with us. He's never been in our classroom when we were when we were in there. Um, so anytime he would censor us or anytime he thought something was wrong, he would blame her. And so that kind of became an issue for us because one, we didn't really know what to do and we did try to make meetings with him, but he still continued to do that. So the second time and the third time we were censored in um, in February and in May, we we realized that there was a lot wrong with that 
and then you know whenever he put our advisor's job on the line and all that yeah uh we go from october um and fast forward to february what was the second instance that you had to confront um our one of our reporters Haley stack she's um she's assistant editor now but she we we had a a sophomore reading book um a separate piece on our on our reading list and the sophomore class had started reading it and it was about a quarter of the way into the book um and Haley's actually she was a sophomore last year so in her class students would stand up and make jokes saying that the characters in the book were too gay so they couldn't read it and parents started complaining um and all that so they had actually removed the book from the sophomore reading list and so they had, they had banned it and um sophomores couldn't read it anymore and they didn't know why and whenever they asked English teachers about it whenever they asked their teachers the English teacher said that she wasn't or they weren't at liberty to tell students why so Haley um kind of wrote this opinion piece on why it's wrong for this book to be banned um because you know it kind of makes our community look homophobic and the author clearly stated you know of the book that these characters weren't gay and so there was just a lot wrong and she'd written this editorial and we had published it it, w- it had been published for, I think, a week and a half, um, and, and then Dr. Burdett finally noticed it and then, again, emailed Miss um, Ar- Arglesby and said that this editorial shouldn't have been published because it was incorrect, it had numerous grammatical errors, and that it was negative. Um, and the numerous grammatical errors, quote-unquote, were it was a missing apostrophe and a let's and an extra period. Wow. And he was also, and you know, in our opinion, that's kind of, those are typos. Right, um, and right. we really missed those. And then he also was upset that we had used the word banned instead of removed. Um, and so Haley had actually, she didn't want this incident to happen again, the censorship incident. So she had changed everything in the editorial that he wanted to be changed. She went back to him asking if she could run it, and he still said no. So that's kind of, that's what happened there. And then short, shortly after, we were told it was in March and it was about around the time of our UIL journalism regional meet. Um, and that's something that we're also really invested in and involved in. Um, Dr. Burdett told Ms. Oglesby that she wouldn't be recommended for renewal next year because teachers in Texas, it's an at-will state. So we have probationary contracts, which means that um, teachers have to work here in their district for either two or three years for Prosper ISD it's three years before they can be given a reason to why they're fired and if not they can just be fired for personnel reasons and they don't have to tell the students why so how did that news hit the lab I can make assumptions but but talk me through it um, we kind of st- we we definitely freaked out we didn't really know what was happening at, we we still weren't super educated on censorship and First Amendment rights and stuff, but we knew that this stuff wasn't okay. Um, And we also knew that everything that was happening was kind of being neglected by other people. It was kind of like they weren't trying to look at us. And when we were informed that Miss O might not be here next year at the time, it was a maybe. We had actually, we we kind of made a, a more of a mature decision and we wrote this, we put together this letter, the editorial board, and we had sent it to Dr. Burdett and the superintendent and every member of the school board. And we kind of talked about 
all of the reasons why you know journalism is important to us and why we want to make sure that there would be a paper next year and even even if we didn't have Ms. Oglesby next year, this is why, you know, we should sell the paper, but this is why Ms. O is really important to us and all of that stuff. And um, we had sent that in March and then we received no response. So we were still kind of freaking out. And then around the time of UIL State, which was in, in April slash May, that's kind of when we were told that it was confirmed that she was going to be fired. And was this around the same time as the final uh, editorial? The um, or, or sorry, that the, that I'm getting my timeline confused. But the one in March was the National Walkout Day protest editorial, right? Uh, yes, that was. It was okay. an April. Okay. All right. All right. So all of this news is happening at the same time. This is as classic a case of scholastic journalism censorship as one could imagine. You, I mean, you've got three different incidences of uh, takedown requests on editorials, or the first two actually were posted. The third one, he didn't let you publish, correct? No, he, um, before we could even, he, he had told us that he would start prior reviewing us after the second editorial, or after the second story, um, the editorial was censored. So I had to take him basically every story and I had to sit with him um, and he would have a copy and I would have a copy and he would go over the story. And um, when I sat down with him about that, um, editorial, and at that point, I started recording the interviews that I was having with him, um, or not, yeah, the sit-down talks that I was having with him, and he kind of just shook the paper in, in my face and said three times, you know, what is the purpose of this editorial? How does this help the student body? How does this help the graduation plan? And he said, and he just kind of, he stood up, and he said that he would think about it, but for right now, it was definitely not going to be published, and then he walked away. So at that point, we already know that Ms. O was going to be fired. Right, right. And, and I, I was reading, I think, the press release that you worked on with the SPLC, um, but the, the, the anecdote about him in the meeting with you kind of shaking the paper in your face, were you able to get a word in edgewise and talk about how it was of interest to the student body, or, or did that conversation not take place? Um, it didn't take place. He wouldn't really let me answer his questions. Right. So after that editorial, after he censored it, um, he called my dad, and he, so we all had a meeting. It was Dr. Burdett, my father, and I, and he, um, with the help of Lori Keekley, who's a JESPRC member, and then the SPLC, um, we kind of put together this document, Haley and I, and it was talking about, um, it, it got a couple things from the Law of the Student Press book, you know, um, it, it answered all the questions that Dr. Burdett had asked me that I couldn't answer, mm-hmm. and we kind of had an hour discussion with Dr. Burdett, and that still didn't really change anything. So that's when we all drafted that press release. Got it. Okay. And at what point, um, and this might roll back the timeline a little bit, but we've, we've name-dropped some of the um, scholastic journalism alphabet soup. We've got the SPLC, the SPRC, uh, it's the Student Press Law Center, and the Scholastic Press Rights Committee, which is uh, one of the um, committees of outreach within JEA, the Journalism Education Association. Um, all of these are organizations that Ms. O is, is part of, well-attuned to. Um, had she or had other folks encouraged you to reach out and make those contacts? And in what way was, I know that by style, Ms. O was very, uh, very much about putting you in the driver's seat as student journalists. Was that also the case with your own advocacy for trying to pursue your, your student press rights, or were you getting advice from other advisors? Talk, talk me through that a little bit. 
Um, well, around the time that the second story was censored and we were told that, you know, she wouldn't be recommended for renewal, Ms. O had told us to reach out to the Student Press Law Center for the first time when we had actually self-centered, or self-centered, self-censored. Two very different things for teenagers there. You are not self-centered at all. Yes, self-censorship you're speaking about. Yes, so we we self-censored, uh, on this piece about a teacher, he was a, he was our broadcast advisor. He was fired um, for public lewdness, um, and we weren't really we didn't really know how to cover that, and we we ended up dropping the story. But we we kind of reached out to them um, about that. But then we knew what the student press law center was. We didn't really know how they could help us or anything like that. And then around the time that the third story was censored, my editorial, that's when I started having basically weekly phone calls with Mike Heistan, who's a legal consultant um, from the from the Student Press Law Center, and then also um, Lori Keekley. And so they were kind of helping us the entire, we would not be here, you know, without them. And we had, we had pressed the panic button on the JASPRC panic button. Um, so we had all these resources, and Miss O had definitely, you know, told us about them, but she was not, she did nothing. We were the ones, she kind of told us, you know, that, that we had these resources available and if we wanted to do something about it we could and obviously we kind of jumped to it because one we were we were scared about losing our advisor and also maybe our paper but then we we just didn't really know what else to do when we weren't getting a response from our admin and then things took a bit of a national turn didn't they you the the story went a, a bit bigger and a bit outside texas didn't it it did um we when we first spoke out we didn't understand how I mean, how much support and all of that stuff that it would get. We thought it would be a smaller thing. Um, and we were still scared to do it, but we thought it would just be, you know, something that was on the new, like in on Twitter and stuff for like a week and a half, and then our admin would get back to us and everything would be fine. But it went, I mean, crazy. And so it, and we, when we still weren't getting a response from our admin, you know, more and more media publications started to cover it, and we we had other students and other advisors reach out to us. Um, not only in Texas, but just across the country, because either they had faced something like this or they were just kind of, you know, trying to support us and say, hey, you know, this isn't right and we're here for you. We can publish your censored stories for you um, and, and things like that. They were just giving us tips all throughout the summer and it got it got pretty crazy. Uh, New York Times crazy, right? Yeah, yeah. That's actually kind of how we were put into contact with um, a lot of other students who had faced censorship since it wasn't just our story. It was... Um, the kids from Utah who um, who went independent. The Harriman Telegraph and Telegram, yep. Yeah. And then Sam Newman from Orange County, California, which was actually a bit of a surprise since they have the New Voices Law already. Right. But they have admin who were trying to get around the law. So. When, obviously this is a, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I've got to assume uh, on its face, this has been a pretty negative experience for you. And certainly the loss of Miss O as an advisor um, not at all to besmirch the reputation of who you're working with now, um, and, and we'll get there in a little bit, but at what point did you all realize or did you personally realize that you were, you know, and, and this, this instance of censorship and prior re- review is, is one star in a constellation of censorship and prior review and fights for scholastic press rights that students are facing across the country. When, when did it hit you? Like, I'm not the only one. Um, for the most part, it was over the summer. Okay. I think... Just the end of the school year last year was really tough for all of us just because, one, we were already so close 
with our advisor. Um, and two, we didn't really, we didn't know that there honestly was a way to protect her just because, you know, employees don't really have a lot of rights. And it was kind of this twofold thing since it was about gaining our student press rights back, but also trying to fight for her rights. And we didn't, we had no idea this was such a common thing. And I think that after everything happened, after our story came out, that's kind of when we delved into the whole, um, just all of the, we, we learned so many other stories. We knew more about Tinker. We knew more about Hazelwood. We knew that this was happening everywhere and we had to really do something about it. Do you think that your focus on um, journalism and media for career and vocation, uh, would you be in the same place uh, thinking with your college plans if if you hadn't experienced censorship in prior review or did that strengthen your resolve? I mean, it it was a game changer. I think a year ago around this time, we would have never even imagined that stuff like this would happen. We wouldn't have the contacts that we do now. We wouldn't have these relationships with other students in other states you know, who have faced censorship like we do now. Um, everything is completely different. So it's, it's it's taking a lot of getting used to. And, and as it goes to your, to your college plans, do you think going through last year has strengthened the, the desire in your heart to be a journalist or work in media? Definitely. I mean, honestly, Haley and I are, are kind of the ones that are, we're, we're very, very focused on not only the new voices law, but just fighting for rights, you know, educating other people on why this stuff isn't okay. And we've both wanted to pursue journalism for a while, but it was kind of a maybe for us because, you know, we had other interests and things like that. But now it's just, it's kind of set in stone that we're going to be doing this for, right. for it, a time. It, I mean, it's terrible that you had to go through it, but it, it seems like it really galvanized you to, to know that this could be your life's work. That, and that's incredible. Um, a, a silver lining, maybe, if we can call it that. What were some of the other stories you heard about? You mentioned the Harriman um, Telegraph and Telegram, uh, the kids that, that were writing about uh, how one of their teachers uh, was removed from his teaching assignment and they started uh, following up on the story and, and there was a takedown um, demand from their principal. So they, they went independent, right, and founded their own online newspaper. They uh, did. I, they kind of faced even crazier things than we did. You know, they were kicked out of their own newsroom and stuff like that after school because there wasn't an advisor in there. It was just... The stories that we started hearing from other students kind of opened our eyes a lot more. And what were some of those other stories? What are what are some of the things that you've heard in, in the last year that other newsrooms are facing? Do can you recall a few? Yeah, I mean, most of the time when these when these students are censored, when staffs are censored, it's it's mostly when they try to cover things uh, that are deemed controversial, like uh, teen pregnancies, just sex ed in general, relationships, um, rape culture, just all of all of that stuff, and. Um, we actually had testimonies from from students in our state whenever we were presenting at this at this workshop in June talking about new voices and we had kids from Texas high school actually which is um, three or four hours away from us and they had pictures censored on their paper because it, it showed a woman with a bare back and the only way that they got out of it was they went a couple years back into their paper and they found a featured image of a man with his shirt off and you know that's the only way they got around it so it's kind of just it's these things that admin since we whenever Haley and I whenever the whole staff honestly just was became more educated on student press rights and, and what was censored and what's not we thought that it had to be like these extreme cases you know and that we were I think that our opinion on what admin censor now kind of changed because it turned into this thing of where admin just said oh 
we don't like what you're publishing, so we're going to censor it. And they deem it controversial and they say that students can't really be having these conversations because we're not experienced enough or educated enough or um, our advisor doesn't know what they're doing or something like that. And that kind of undermines the, the purpose of student journalists and, and advisors around the country. So one issue that the Student Press Law Center's Active Voice Project is highlighting is something you mentioned already, the, the self-censorship, which is there's a high correlation once kids, once students, excuse me, student journalists are censored uh, by administration or deans at the college level, what have you, that then begins a process of um, second guessing and self-censorship where the conversation in many newsrooms can turn into, well, since we just did went through this thing, we know they're not going to let us talk about that anyway, so why even try? Um, we know this is especially true with young women and student journalism. And I, I've got to think if we had the numbers on it, student journalists at, at least at the high school age, it's overwhelmingly female. Um, why do you think the, how, how do we, support student journalists to, to break that cycle, and, and especially with young female journalists. What, what advice can you offer for students that are, that are having that internal debate about self-censorship or, or why even try? Um, well, I think it's really important, no matter you know, how much censorship you face, no, no matter how scary it can be, um, to just to keep pushing and to keep fighting for student rights, and that can be really difficult, especially when you're in a state that you know has probationary contracts or something where you would be putting your advisor's job out on the line. I think that's actually one of the bigger things that we faced um, in Texas when we talked to other students about censorship and stuff. Um, one of the a shocking thing that we actually heard from Texas high students and just other students in general was that we were talking about new voices and talking about what happened at, at our high school and stuff. And the first question that a student asked um, whenever we had, you know, time for questions was that, is prior review not normal? Mm. Wow. And, yeah, and that's not, I mean, that kind of blew our minds just because to all these students, it's kind of, I mean, it's normal, you know, whenever they're, it's, it's sadly really normal. And so whenever they're censored for the first time, they're like, okay, we can't cover all of these other topics because we were censored this time, or our advisor's going to be fired, or we're going to get in trouble, or our newspaper's going to be shut down. And it's just so, it's so crazy and really upsetting how common it's become. But I think the biggest thing is that Although it can be really tough to build relationships with admin when all of this is happening, it's still really important to try and communicate with them because then at least students, you know, you, you have this leverage now that you attempted to fight for your rights, even though things went horribly wrong. And you also have other resources like the Student Press Law Center and JEA and all these other people that are willing to help you and that have, that have talked to other students who have faced this stuff and are willing to kind of get you through it. What's the status of the New Voices campaign in Texas right now? As we look to the future and, and you embark now on your senior year, uh, I know the advisor, uh, Leah Waters, is involved. I think she's somebody that you're in fairly frequent contact with. Um, tell me a little bit about New Voices Texas. Um, well, right now, one thing that Leah and I talk about a lot is that it's kind of like a twofold process. It's not just about getting this law passed and having our student rights, um, you know, having having a free press, but it's also about educating advisors and other students about their First Amendment rights and responsibilities and resources that they have to help them. Since I feel that, I mean, honestly, all of us feel that. And one of the biggest issues is that students and advisors, they don't really know, like, 
what New Voices is. They don't really know what resources they have to help them when they face prior view and censorship and other problems like that. So right now we're just trying to get to as many workshops and conventions as possible, educate other people on why and what New Voices is, um, you know, why why students and advisors should get involved, even though, you know, it is 100% student-led. One of the biggest misconceptions that we have is actually that when New Voices is passed, it, it'll kind of be a free-for-all for students, and that's not really true. You know, it's still, students are still going to be journalistically and responsibly reporting. It's just that now we don't have to worry about censorship, and we also... Texas is built in specific we have the protection of our advisors so we don't have to worry about our advisors being pushed out um, because that can be a really agonizing pressure I feel like to other students who are self-censoring now so right now we're just trying to um, keep the conversation going um, and um, we're trying we're trying our best <laughs> what can students do to get involved I know you guys have a Twitter feed go ahead and rattle that off for me we'll put it in the podcast description as well Okay. Um, our our Twitter handle is actually at Voices Texas. So we try to, <coughs> sorry, we try to tweet resources that students have, um, not only if they're facing censorship or anything like that, but just um, on educating themselves on the rights that they have, um, on ways to celebrate the rights they have, but also how to be responsible. Um, we also have a, a Google survey that we've tweeted and, and pinned. And if you take that survey and you say what school you're from or just why you support it in general, you can kind of be put into contact with all of us that are already involved and um, help us with our new voices booth and stuff like that, for example, at THAE. And at uh, the, are you going to be up in Chicago next month? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, yes, um, we are. We're going to be at the JEA convention, and we don't really know what we're doing for New Voices yet, but um, we know that we're all going to be there. Yeah, on Thursday, uh, and I believe I've got this right, and we can fact check it at the JEA website and the convention website, but on Thursday, there's going to be from, I think, 2 to 5 o'clock in the afternoon, a um, gathering of uh, folks who are interested in in kind of having a a New Voices summit, if you will. Um, So perhaps we'll see you there, uh, Neha, but certainly as other students and advisors who are listening to the podcast are interested, you can again find more about that out at uh, journalismconvention.org, the the JEA website as well. Um, As you uh, settle back into it, uh, who's your new advisor now? Who are you working with? Um, Our advisor is Mrs. Roskins. And how's the adjustment going? And how's the staff doing? What what are your relationships like with admin right now? You said the policy, the prior review policy was actually reversed. So tell me a little bit about, as we wrap up, how the year is off to a good start. It is. We've, we've already written multiple um, opinion pieces. And like we said, it's all, it's kind of, everything's kind of new to us now just because now we have the freedom to do things. So we're all like, wow, you know, we can do all of this other stuff. Um, we're trying to rebuild our relationships with admin. And I think that's a little bit difficult, you know, because of everything that's already happened. But we're trying our best. Um, we've already done stuff like we've set up a booth during lunches on Constitution Day. Um, we're just trying to kind of get the word out there that we are, you know, we are still trying to build relationships with other students and admin at our school. We're not just, we're not hating anyone or anything like that. Um, we're just we're trying to inform everyone that you know we're in the same position that you are we're just students that are trying to have our rights and um it's going really well excellent 
Well, friends uh, and audience members out there, this has been Neha Madeira. She is the editor-in-chief of Eagle Nation Online at Prosper High School, Texas. She is a, uh, an advocate for and part of the New, Vo- New Voices program in Texas. Um, Neha, thank you so much for being the first guest on, uh, on Conversations at the Schoolhouse Gate. It's been a pleasure. Of course. Thank you. And enjoy, uh, enjoy school. We'll talk soon. I'd like to say thanks once again to Neha for taking the time with me today to share her story and the story of of what her staff experienced last year. Prior review and censorship, uh, they're seen all over the country, and that's why we know that New Voices matters and why we are uh, offering this resource and all of the other uh, resources through the Scholastic Press Rights Committee uh, for advisors and staffs in need. Um, A couple of things that we highlighted during that episode and, and conversation the Student Press Law Center is at splc.org. They are a nonprofit uh, out of Washington, D.C., and a phenomenal resource for advisors and staffs all over the country. Again, that's at splc.org. If you have issues with censorship or if your advisor has been removed from your program, you can reach out to them, and uh, they'll be right back in touch with you with lawyers and advocates who can uh, best advise you as to, as to what directions you should turn and, and, and where you can turn your focus. The Scholastic Press Rights Committee uh, that we mentioned, uh, of which this podcast is a part, and I'm a committee member, is chaired by Lori Keekley of Minnesota. You can find us online at jeasprc.org. And if you want to follow up on uh, the convention in Chicago, you can get details at journalismconvention.org. We are having a New Voices Summit uh, from 2 to 5 p.m. on Thursday, November 1st. You can pre-register for that uh, when you register for the convention. Uh, As of last week, there were just a few spots remaining, but it's definitely something uh, that you should check into. Those of you who know me via the Yearbook Wise podcast uh, have heard that also at Chicago, I'm doing a live Q&A panel with four experts from around the country, including Lori Oglesby and Lori Keekley. We will have that session at 10 a.m. on Friday morning at Chicago. And uh, that is Scholastic Press Rights through the the yearbook lens uh, with a particular focus on the issues that that yearbook staffs and advisors could face uh, as they encourage and support their students in pursuing uh, journalism in the yearbook classroom. For now, though, friends, uh, this does it for the first episode of Conversations at the Schoolhouse Gate, the New Voices podcast. I'd encourage the share. Uh, Certainly you can uh, tweet about it and recommend it to others. Uh, Folks will be able to download it and find it anywhere uh, they download their podcasts. If you would go over to Apple iTunes and uh, give a review as well, that will help other people find the podcast. We'll be back in your feed soon with an interview with Steve Listopad, one of the the, the founders of the modern New Voices movement. Uh, His story goes back to about 2015 in North Dakota, and uh, you can look for that soon. For now, though, friends, be well.